Welcome to Sample and Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. Steve Walsh, my co-host. Hello. This week, we've gone to Catford. Literally, we've gone to Catford. We get stick in the past, particularly from Lakeisha, for not going to places that we talk about, don't we? And she's right, if you are doing a hyper-local podcast and it's about the place that you live, we probably should go to more places. And we did today, we went to Catford. Yeah, it's a bit of a drag, isn't it, going around places with you, Steve? Because you walk so slow anyway, because of the size of your legs. But also, you just want to look at every little but thing. I'm, I'm like, going to make the point. You're trying to get but, me to compare different types of concrete. I don't care. I'm, I want to go gonna, watch the Tottenham game. I'm going to make the point that I made while we were out in the field. Why do you want to go to these places and then not look at anything in these places? <laughs> What's the point of us going out into the field? And I'm, you know, what I'm doing with the concrete thing, that was important. Because is it part of the same structure or is it part of a later structure? It was valid. It was valuable. On our Instagram, it's some um, pictures from the trip. At SLHC. It <laughs> was a trip. Yeah, I guess it was I was a in Dutch. Yeah. I got on a bus and went to Catford, Steve, on a trip. The other thing that we need to say about Catford, let's get on record before we go into the show proper, because it's not really a valid thing to discuss when talking about the place, but it is a nightmare travelling there on public transport. You know? If yeah. you go there on a bus, that's twice now. The journey there today and the journey back today was a nightmare. From the last Forest, time we went there. From sort of Forest, between yeah. Forest Hill and Catford. If you're going through Catford Bridge on a bus, forget about it. Don't don't do it if you're in a hurry. If if it's your day off, like it was for us, and you're in you know luxuriating in your surroundings as I was, then it's fine. But don't go there if if, if you're on any sort of timescale. Luckily, there are train stations next door to each other. Yeah, but we didn't need to go where they were going, so that's problematic. We're on Twitter as well at slhc, southlondonhardcore.com. Email us if you like, southlondonhardcore at gmail.com. What have we not covered on the show that we really ought to cover? There's a nice thing where uh, Time Out, we're talking about what we need to look at in Camberwell, Newcross and Peckham. And you just uh, replied to him on Twitter with uh, links to relevant episodes, isn't it? Yeah. Just, just listen to six hours of audio and uh, get said, where, should, where did we start? That's like, well, Here. start with uh, the, the Newcross episode. I don't know if you followed the, the comments further down on Facebook. Well, the first thing I saw of it was when someone put in capitals, stay out of Peckham, <laughs> stay out of Camberwell. <laughs> I think it was one of uh, Robert Vaughan's friends. Yeah. Well, uh, Robert Vaughan uh, made the point that the only uh, play, the thing of cultural value in the, in the area is Dutch Hamlet Football Club, which is his favourite point. Mishy on Facebook, again, just warned them off. He was like, what, what's good about his places? And he was like, the fact that we haven't got middle-class timeout readers living there. <laughs> but the guy... Um, if someone from timeout is listening, though, right, is there any way you could get your magazines to East Dulwich Station? Because you don't sell the magazines anymore. They're free, and that's great. But, I mean, I only ever read them for free when I went to Waterstones on the till. It was great. But now, my sister has to get them from me from London Bridge. But it'd be great if when I pass East Dulwich Station in the morning, I could just pick one up from there. Yeah, they don't really spread out as much as you'd hope. No, it's like the uh, Transport for London bikes, isn't it? It just stops at a certain point. To be fair to Time Out as well, in terms of the threads, you know, as we're quoting people that were giving them a bit of stick, uh, but the guy on the threads, quite early on, sort of went, let's make it clear, the guy who's moderating this thread lives in Peckham and will not hesitate in blocking people that think it's funny to have a go at the place. And people were sort of going again. Uh, stay out there unless you want to get stabbed and stuff. And he was just sort of going, no, nope, not valid. Just yeah, yeah. And you, yeah you know, and you know. It's hardly like, oh, Time Out decided to go to South London, have they? Like Time Out, you pick up any Time Out. There's always stuff about South London. Yeah, or it's hard. There's hardly a bias. I mean, obviously, it's kind of concentrated on tourist, 
tourist areas, but yeah. you know, come to Peckham Wharf and uh, not all they don't go to Wharf, are they? But uh, Peckham yeah, and uh, I was going to suggest Burgess Park, uh, new Olympic standard BMX. Yeah, track. also a wonderful park. If you've not listened to our Campbell New Cross and Peckham on Peckham on Peckham episode, go back. The episode guide on the website. Yeah. If you want to leave a comment on iTunes, like, uh, guys, love the podcast. <laughs> Regular listeners will know, Steve, that your highlight is... Uh, My speciality. Yeah, is the, is the determining, determining where the name of a place came from. I wouldn't say determining where... Na- I'd say assembling, where every, assembling <laughs> every possible reason that a place might be called something... Listing all those reasons and then deciding which one is the most fun as opposed to the most valid. I'm sure you were thrilled when you read uh, on Wikipedia, uh, square brackets, citation needed. <laughs> That's uh, Sometimes I go on Wikipedia and I'll just do a page search for citation needed. <laughs> Tell me what you need cited uh, and I will get on that. Yeah, so where did the name Catford definitely not come from? It definitely... Actually, this is what isn't from Wikipedia. This was from an estate agent's page. Uh, talking about Catford, where uh, they asserted that Catford was called Catford because it was the area where wild cats used to cross the river. (laughs) 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 And I was like, that's the best one. I mean, it's it's the the least accurate. Uh, But it's a nice conflation of the other... (laughs) Yeah, well, tell them what it says on Wikipedia. On Wikipedia, uh, there's two theories. The, 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 The most likely being it's where... Uh, cattle forded the river Ravensbourne. Oh which, come on, that's not what it says. No, that's that's the most likely one, I think. Yeah, and, and that's and that makes sense. You look at the geographical location. You know the the transport from Dover and Kent through South London into the city for the markets. It would have been you know quite easy for the drovers to come through that part. You know you'd go through Catford rather than Deptford. You go through the place where the cattle could be forded rather than a deep part of the ford. Um, so it all makes sense. The other theory put forward on Wikipedia is that it got the name because loads of cats, black cats, were drowned there during the witch hunts <laughs> because they were seen as agents of the devil. Uh, Again, maybe, mm. but probably not. Probably, and it is usually the most, even the most practical ones uh, have some some beauty to them. As you know, it is this interesting idea of the physical geography of the area defining what it becomes. So many years later. I mean, when was the last time that, you know, cattle were driven through Lewisham? It's been a while. So the area develops as a village, some farmland around. It's generally too marshy for proper farmland because of the river. Um, It builds into a suburban area with the sort of conurbation to the north. Later on... With the arrival of the railways, it becomes a proper suburb. And as with a lot of areas of South London at this point, uh, an entertainment centre. You get music halls and concert halls and later on cinemas opening up. The Lewisham Hippodrome was the local music hall. Later on, you got the Broadway Theatre, which is a concert hall. So it was almost like the more socially acceptable form of theatre. Well, not necessarily better because that's you're saying, you know. Is, yeah, feels quite rubbish. Is, is, a, is, a, is a concert singer better than Charlie Chaplin, who's going to be a musical entertainer? No, no. So yeah, depends. You know, you'd get some terrible musical artists and some great ones. But yeah, musical would have been the more sort of working class 
entertainments and then the concert hall would have been for the emerging middle classes that are moving out to it as a suburb once you get the railway. Later on you get the uh, Galmont cinema as well. The other claim to fame that Catford has in terms of being uh, an area for socialising is their claim to have Britain's first curry house in 1824. Yeah, That's extraordinary, right? Because... You get the feeling that nobody ate anything other than potatoes and meat and bread, like, until the 60s. Yeah. Like, say, like, my nan, she won't eat pasta. Yeah. But you do forget that, you know... And it's, back. Pocket. it's like, my dad's got uh, this book uh, knocking about in, in the front room um, called The Black... Presence in Suffolk from like sixteen hundred yeah, and we talked about the show once, didn't we? About that um, interracial marriage in Suffolk in like seventeen. Yeah, absolutely. Like there was, it was only tiny pockets, but there were presents. There, yeah. there was definitely presents, and it's a, a similar thing as you say. The, the popular idea is that cuisine and immigration arrived with commercial airfares in the nineteen sixties. Suddenly, you can air freight foods around the world, and bananas are here. And you can air freight people around the world and, you know, people of colour here. But whereas, in fact, these things would have been here long before. I mean, there's nothing, I couldn't find anything firm to confirm that. where it is or anything? Where it's it is. It's not there anymore, is No, it? but I mean, I couldn't find any, I don't know what the evidence is for that. I mean, I'm happy to go with it, of course, because it's on Wikipedia and that's good enough for me. But, um, yeah, this is where, Is this going to be a two guys reading out Wikipedia episode? <laughs> I went to the Broadway theatre a couple of times. We used to go to a pantomime every Christmas with church when I was a kid. And most of them were at the Peckham Civic Centre. I don't know if they even had, if, if they have that kind of thing now. I don't think they do, do they? Peckham Civic Centre. There never no, seems to be anything going on there. Yeah, yeah. But like, I remember once Shane Ritchie was in Peter Pan and like yeah, he was on like, a <laughs> wire like going right across. I was like, Shane Ritchie, I've heard of him from something. Yeah, I saw a couple at uh, Catford. Any good ones? I can't remember. But, like, now there's a massive range of stuff that goes on now. Like, there's, like, stand-up comedians play there and stuff. Like, it seems to be the kind of venue for black theatre as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, high, I don't know, high-end, so, so popular, you know. Who are did on My Big Fat Jamaican Funeral being a couple of examples. And even Pantomime's Christmas, you know, were music and TV's Richard Blackwood. Whoa, whoa, music and TV legend. Sorry, Richard sorry. According to the poster. According to the poster. You may know him from uh, Shrek the Musical, but you probably don't. The transformation of Catford into the form we'd recognise, they start after the Second World War with the building of the Excalibur Estate in 1945. Interesting thing about the Excalibur Estate, it's built by German and Italian prisoners of war. Yeah, from uh, the Africa Corps. Yeah. 2Ks. Yes. Rommel, Not it? together. Yeah, we didn't get Desert Fox himself doing a bit of uh, plastering, which is unfortunate. But Yeah, 1,500 homes were bombed in, in Catford alone. Yeah, it's... You kind of... It's like, you kind of don't really think about the scale of the Blitz sometimes, I think. I certainly don't. No. Sort of forget that it was just how utterly devastating it was. And also, you just, I know we've said this on the podcast before, but it's so sort of focused on the East End. And yeah, you forget and the other places. But my nan was, um, I don't know if I've said this before, my nan was in Wales when she grew, she sort of lived in, she was an orphan, and she um, was in Wales as a teen at St Monica's Training School. 
in uh, real. Is it? Yeah. Well, real's the name of the place in Wales. I don't know if that's what I you think know. That's it was. What it was. Yeah. And there was a steelworks nearby, right? So they were in the, like rural Wales, but like they were getting like the full force of it. Well, like it was just like for... the noise. She said, and they had um, they had a load of uh, Italian. She said Italian mostly, I think. Uh, bombers that I guess would they have crashed their planes then? That's why they were. That's why they were POWs in that area. They wouldn't have shipped them over. That would they if they? You know what I mean? No, they would have moved them around. I think. Yeah, well, they're the load. They're the load there. Like, she, and she said, like nine months later, like they, after they went, like people were like popping up babies. But you would have Italian guys come over. <laughs> I uh. <laughs> Currently, they're in the process of demolishing the Excalibur estate. There's been process. I mean, they were they were built as free, uh, prefabs, prefabs originally. So the idea was they were going to last for 10 years and it was a stopgap solution until proper social, social housing could be built. And ironically now, at a time when social housing is at an, possibly an all-time low and there's no prospect of getting better, they're destroying perfectly good housing once again. Yeah, it's... They're, li- they're sort of semi-listed, aren't they? Yeah, I think... It's a conservation area. And I mentioned that to my dad recently about someone being a conservation area. And he's like, this is a conservation area. Like the estate my parents live on, the Octavia Hill mm. estate in um, uh, Woolworth. Because it's basically like, my parents' block, I think, some of it is about 105 years old or whatever. And like, so the whole bit is a cons- is a conservation area, but you like they can re- you, just, you can replace windows and stuff. Mm. You can do a lot more than you can do a listed building. Yeah, yeah. And evidently, it means these prefabs can be knocked down. There's only so much historical value with these things in them, and sometimes you just have to kind of move on. In it, I, I think they I said think... like keep five, and they right. said something like, yeah, like yeah. we can't have all of them. Just keep five, and we're going to sell the rest to private private developers. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd say do keep some because it is it's. We're talking about prefab housing that was built, you know, 60 years ago by prisoners of war. That is of social importance. That's hopefully something we're never going to have to see again. That, you know, captured soldiers are uh, building housing in London. The development continues into the 1960s. The town hall, the government cinema, the Eros cinema are all demolished. The Eros Cinema was what the Lewisham Hippodrome had become after Music Hall had faded. Um, similarly, Galmont Cinema uh, opens after Music Hall fades. This is the result of television, essentially, isn't it? You know, cinemas, you, you can't sustain two cinemas in Catford if everyone's at home watching the telly. Eros House is built in 1968. And we had a look at it today. Yeah, it's an interesting building. The actual central tower with the glass work along the side, I thought it was nice. Ironically, there's not much to love about it, is there? <laughs> a couple of great plaques, though. You can see that on the Instagram. Yeah, really nice. But again, of their time, sort of like these yeah, lovely, six, yeah, yeah colourful, really, really nice. They've also um, not helped it with that sculpture of piping out the front that yeah. just looks. It looks like it's like a display from a plumbing. Yeah, this is the thing with Catford, isn't it? Everything just seems to be so grimy, and sort of a bad idea when it was first built, and now falling apart. And I think that fits into it. I don't think that sculpture's even that old. I just think it's not nice. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, it was badly, it was badly yeah, designed, a bad idea and badly was, built. Yeah. 
Eros House is significant because it's the probably the first example in Catford, but not the first example on this podcast of brutalist architecture. It's been a while, isn't it? Too long. But I don't have to wait too long for the next major example. In 1974, Catford Shopping Centre is built. Yeah. Loose definition of built, isn't it? I mean, what? It's, I'd never been inside before. I'd only ever seen it's it like from a, the street. It's just like a load of bungalows. Mm, it's really flat and it's like partly covered. Yeah. It's very odd. It's got none of the advantages of being properly covered. Or open, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've got a guy out there with a cardboard podium, like, trying to sell Talk Talk broadband to people who clearly don't want it. But there's, like, birds muck everywhere. Loads of charity shops there, so that's a bonus. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say, gone past it on the bus and seen the giant cat. And then, from reading the description of it as brutalist, I was, like, expecting it to be very, sort of, solid and angular inside. But... It sort of feels like along each side it's Victorian terraces that they've knocked a gap through, put some shop fronts up, and then occasionally put some concrete uh, roofing over yeah, bits of it. I, could, I don't know, it's a very old structure. I could see it going at some point and a proper thing being built. I don't, I don't know, it would just be, when you say going, me and you could knock it down. You just have yeah, to get a, to get a jackhammer yeah, yeah, yeah. on those roof bits, and the rest of it's just space to fill in. But yeah, that fiberglass cat, will people be clamouring to save that at some point? Will it be save the fiberglass catford cat? I would say, if it comes to that... Move it. Move it. You know where we put it. In place of the piping. On top of the piping. Oh. It'd look like the cat's climbing over it then. Yeah, it would and it would cover up a lot of it. So when that would be look quite up a close, it's quite... I think if you try to move it, it'd probably fall apart. The cat. Yeah, it looks quite grimy up close and well, it looks kind like of a crumbly. Solid... It looks like it's peeling. Okay. Well, that looks like a solid uh, unit. Again, I think similar when we're talking about the statues uh, episodes, it's an action shot, isn't it? You know, it it would have been quite easy just to sort of have your classic... <laughs> just have a cat sat there looking looking quite... You, they usually look quite smug, don't they, and quite sort of uh, self-controlled. Whereas this one uh, looks a bit loopy and has a hand sort of swatting out at uh, passers-by. And it's got the, the, the sort of expression is more Cheshire Cat than anything else, isn't it? He's got a sort of cheeky little grin on his face, like, don't don't mess with me. I've got a few ideas. Other structures that we've lost from Catford over the years was uh, Catford Studios, um, a short-lived film studio, which, from what you read about it, they try and make it sound like it's quite significant, but there's not really anything major. There's, like, Tom Brown's school days and then Edgar Wallace... Story yeah, there's nothing I mean, nothing. Seen, really. A more significant loss, though, uh, Catford Stadium, which for a long time really defined the area, I think, in terms of it being a place to go. You know, that and the shopping centre, essentially. Yeah. I mean, not for you. Go to Catford for the dogs. Yeah. You wouldn't go to a place to see dogs, would you? I mean, that's not a draw for you. No, imagine the smell. Does it smell? Have you ever been? Yeah, I used to go, not a lot, but I've been a fair few times with my dad. And uh, my sister. It was very, uh, I don't know, quite liked it. Do you have to pay like, to get in? Yeah, but not a lot. It was like very, very cheap. Cheap because out for the family. That was the thing. And it was... Do I it get was, a wimpy afterwards? Well, you'd get chips there. Oh, brilliant. So they have, and like, I think What's later on... What's in that hot dog? Cause... <laughs> 
But it was it was a good place to go when you're a kid because it was like loads of bright lights and just the fact that you're out late on yeah it's slightly, a, a, and uh, outside at night as well but it's sort of controlled and you had just these like you know obviously uh, concrete steps like an old sort of football stadium yeah terracing yeah yeah and uh, yeah it was it was a lot of fun you'd sort of like uh, pick a dog you know dad would let us have a go picking a dog but you didn't really care it was just the experience more than anything else would be the uh, exciting part of it it closed in 2003 didn't it and it's going to be flat soon yeah I'd imagine yeah I don't know what the no it is oh it is okay they're going to build flats there there was a suggestion that Catford Wanderers might move in to the stadium it's cricket tennis and badminton but I mean, you're talking about an amateur side. That's not going to happen, is it? Even with free sports, state, yeah. they're not going to. But none, they don't need. I don't. Uh, nothing no. against Catford Wanderers as an institution, but they don't need a stadium, do they? I'd imagine. Another lost sports stadium in the area was the Mount, who hosted Charlton for I think it was just one season, um, at a time when attendances at the Valley were dropping and moved to a smaller stadium just to save costs. Um, but quite interesting, I don't know how deliberate it was, I don't know whether the name The Mount came from the fact that it wasn't the Valley or it was already called that. But the idea of right, Charlton yeah. moving from a particularly low-lying stadium yeah. to a particularly high-lying stadium. You wonder if it was like uh, they moved back because it was like playing at altitude. <laughs> they're not used to it. The air's a bit thinner in uh, Catford. There was a documentary in 2001 called Gone to the Dogs about dog doping and race fixing. And this guy, Paul Kenyon, was he a big TV documentary guy? Oh, yeah. I've never heard of him. Yeah, yeah. He was like, essentially, the godfather of that genre. What's his name? Well, the godfather of that genre was uh, Roger Cook. Right. Who was... The Cook Report. The Cook Report, which was essentially find a wrong and foot in the door. Tell us what you plan to do, and you yeah. just wait. And basically, you stole it, didn't you? you? And you're just waiting for Roger Cook to get punched. And he was great. He was like, just like would go after these villains and just sort of tell them all about themselves. <laughs> Kenyon was a bit more sort of hidden camera. Uh, what can you tell us? And at the end, would sort of confront people. We've got the footage. What do you want to tell us? And then just sort of covering their face and climbing. Matchfix. Matchfix. I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Yeah, yeah Donald McIntyre was another one. Was, yeah, he? was he the one who went really undercover really. with uh, Chelsea? Don't know. I think there was one of them who went undercover with like a Chelsea hooligan firm and like got a tattoo so that he'd look the part. I mean, you know. Not worth it, is it? Nah. So yeah, Kenyon uh, posed as a dog owner and trainer. Not as a dog. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, there in, uh, on all fours wagging his tail. <laughs> this isn't going to work. And the results were quite shocking. Are you... I watched this the other day. I mean, I, I don't like dogs, but, you know, when they go out, yeah, we've uncovered a mass dog grave. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the thing. As a child, my... This long... guy shooting dogs in the head with a sawn-off rifle, Steve. It's pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah, it's not. Cocaine. Giving dogs cocaine so they run faster. And yeah. Overfeeding them so they run slower. Yeah, so as a kid, I'd go to the dogs but you don't think about what happens once they retire and I think part of what shaped me thinking it would be fine was the fact that the barber I went to in Camberwell um, used to was a big gambler but also used to own and train dogs and whenever you went to the barbers 
he'd always have two or three greyhounds just wandering around the shop and there was like a chair that was the dog's chair oh, and like right. you just weren't allowed to sit there it was like the dog's chair and he'd tell you he'd sit down and they'd go this dog's chair move over to the uh, other chair yeah, to the human's chair so but and that, so that's the thing I always I think I always had this vision of dogs run at the, the dog track and that's quite glamorous so it's probably a lovely life then they go and live with George but that's yeah. not the reality because it's an industry isn't it yeah. you've got more dogs than you've got people willing to give them homes a lot of barbers called George weren't there all of them pretty much it was like a rule when it was Brian's barber George he had to change his name didn't he Brian to George when he went into <laughs> the hairdressing game well the thing is the industry shrunk so much now isn't it I mean I think there's three tracks left in London Walthamstow Wimbledon and one other so I mean, it's not free too many. I would argue. Well, of course, yeah. This is the thing: if 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 it still involves uh, essentially torturing animals, then yeah. stop I doing mean, it's it. It's not. Who's? I mean, dog lovers don't like it. Dog haters, me, they don't like it. It's just people that are indifferent to dogs. There is it. We had a drink at the Cutford Tavern. Pretty horrible, actually. The drink. It's like a fizzy <laughs> fruit drink. You got alarmed because you checked with the guy at the bar if they were alcoholic. And he said they weren't. And then we sat down, and it was in Dutch or German? German, yeah. German. Um, and yours had a word, and then it said 5%. And you're like, I think this might be alcoholic. And I checked my one. Because it tasted horrible, so that's why I thought it might be alcohol. But then I checked my one, and mine was 23%. And then we realised it was a lot of fruit juice. Uh, for alcohol? Yeah. Yeah, that would knock you out. Well, not knock you yeah. out, but you'd know. You'd know. Well, how much is uh, Pachin? Well, Pachin's like 98%, because it's not... It's, just pure it's distilled alcohol okay right yeah uh, but like whiskey whiskey would be like you'd get whiskeys that are 25% actually you get whiskeys that are at 33% I think I don't know but yeah it would be like a strong beer's 12% yeah right right you'd know yeah hooch is like <laughs> yeah that was the thing it was a sort of hoochie style drink wasn't it I mean I thought they were okay I did enjoy them but it's the South East London camera pub of the year 2013 camera being the campaign for real ale and the uh, South East London campaign for real ale cider pub of the year also oh right but that suggests it's for the range of beers in it rather than anything else yeah it's I quite mean, a nice little pub but yeah and it's a nice it looks like a, it's the original structure when you look at the ceiling and a lot of the features on the walls um, and it was yeah it was a lot of space which was quite nice plenty of chairs nice nice selection of chairs as well there's like arm yeah, chairs and like sofas chairs and, chairs and stuff yeah you wouldn't let me take what any of the books would you I I wouldn't, no I wouldn't I like the fact that I'm being called out for not letting you steal this is well, if this is your accusation you wouldn't let me a week away from closing down what are you going to do with the books just put in a landfill isn't it so mate you close down next week I'm just going to take this armchair because it will go great in my yeah what would I do otherwise with the armchair I imagine that the, this is what I was trying to explain to you whoever buys the thing buys all the things in it doesn't it so what do you feel about Catford? You won't be going back because of the transport situation. I I really like it as a place, though. I think it's an interesting mix. You can sort of see the different eras of architecture there. And I think it's some really nice examples. Like, Eros House is really interesting in terms of the sort of shape and design. Um, the glasswork around the sides. Um, and as I say, this sort of stacked concrete uh, effect. I thought it was really nice. Um... Catford Shopping Centre less so. It still it was interesting just because it wasn't what I expected. It's sort of almost negative space rather than the the standard sort of brutalism that you imagine being quite chunky and sturdy. Um, further along, you have the Broadway Theatre, which is a gorgeous building, isn't it? Sort of 
Yeah, that is, yeah. Yeah, sort of... Art Deco. Art Deco, yeah, really, really. And that's uh, something I'm a big fan of. And then around the corner from that, you've got the Civic Suite, which is the sort of 1960s replacement for the Town Hall. And I quite like that. The actual... That is nice, yeah. There's They've an got a little bit of outside space, um, which and they've got a statue there of uh, the pensive girl. And they've got a new crossfire uh, memorial. memorial, yeah. yeah. And they've got like a little bit of like kind of gardeny space, which actually does really brighten up. It's opposite the um, library and stuff. But it was a really nice example of modernist sixties architecture as well. The actual there's a, a, an awning or a lip over the the, the entrance mm. where it says Civic Suite, and I think if you took that out, you've got this great sort of sweep of glass that runs concave across the front and then there's another building just to the left of that with a sort of convex frontage and it really sort of opens up the space beautifully and then opposite to that you've got um lawrence house cross road which is where the library is and that's not as nice a building no. it looks like it's about the same actually it looks a bit a bit later actually it looks sort of possibly even 70s or 80s but it's a similar sort of aesthetic but not as well done the first time i went to catford the the road that's mostly paved, pedestrianised, it has a market on it a lot of the time. I'm not sure what it's called, but it's sort of between uh, the Civic Centre and the Shopping Centre. I was walking down there and there was a woman with mental health issues screaming out of a first floor window. And like, just people were just standing there staring up. And like, it was just, it was so surreal, man. And that just gave me quite a negative view of Catford, to be honest. Every time I've been there since, it's been incident-free, but I don't know. Man. You were disappointed with the lack of incidents, then, weren't you? you yeah, were, I was you hoping were... that like, maybe you might get attacked, Yeah. or maybe someone else would be screaming out of a window, and we could talk about that on the show. But, but it was actually just quite pleasant, wasn't yeah. it? We stumbled across the uh, Conservative Club, which was nice, because it's just... Uh... It's a wreck. It's Top just a shell. missing from the side. Yeah, the, paint it just, the paint, it just looks like it's about 200 years old. It just looks like a proper relic. And it's really uh, a nice example of what conservative clubs should look like in working class areas. They should be abandoned and forgotten about. And like, where I went down the alleyway to sort of look at the building itself. And uh, I came back and said to you, it looks like a haunted house. It's just like boarded up windows and smashed up and... It just looks like it's been under attack, which is good. I think it's a positive, uh, you know, way to go with conservative uh, buildings. We finished our trip up in Blythe Hill Fields, which is a, you know, what the name says, isn't it? It's a park on top of a hill. Um, what a hill! Really high up. Isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. Ex- it was extraordinary because you get up the top of it and you sort of, uh, it's. I mean, this is not accurate. It's just an optical illusion, isn't it? But it's you can see clouds that yeah. sort of appear to be below where you are. Yeah, as we were walking up the hill, you nudged me and went, we're above the clouds. <laughs> and you could sort of see the clouds that are below the horizon. It was, yeah, remarkable. And, yeah, you get up and it's, the views are, it's, yeah, it's a marvellous view, isn't it? You can see for miles and miles. I mean, you can see, like, you clearly see um, Canada... Square, is that what you call it? Yeah, one going square. Canary Wharf, as people would. No, I mean the whole complex. Isn't right, it? yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see, like, Greenwich Park looks marvellous from up well, there. Well, you said, well, like, the band of greenery ahead of you. It mm. does sort of, it really puts to, like, you know, I always think of it when I'm flying over England and you look down and uh, you hear talk from people, uh, you know, 
can't let more people in, can we? We're full up. Nah. We're full, there's no more. Where are we going to put them? Where are we gonna, yeah. like, there's loads of places. It's like in America where they talk about having an immigration problem. Like, yeah. It's just miles of nothing. People aren't seeing the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> so that's well worth if you If you're local, that's well worth a trip. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Talking of locals. <laughs> seamless, isn't it? Probably the most famous local resident was Henry Cooper, who yeah. lived on the Bellingham Estate for a while. We talked about Henry Cooper in episode 70, our boxing episode. That went on for over two hours, so I think we should definitely not talk about our Henry anymore. Can we get Hassan on the phone to talk about Henry Cooper? <laughs> Hassan, we want you to talk about Henry Cooper. Okay, I'll only be an hour and four <laughs> Almost as famous, Steve. Ben Elton. Ben Elton. I've written Ben Elton on my You're older than me, Steve, so you've... Uh, Ben Elton's comedy. I've lived through the Ben Elton years. Yeah, do you want to tell people about them? Yeah, he's made his name as a stand-up comedian. That, um, right, you've made him an error there immediately. So do you want me to do it properly, or do you want to just keep going? Go on, then. what was the... Uh... Well, he wrote uh, The Young Ones at 23, didn't he, before he'd even done any stand-up. Oh, right, I thought he'd done stand-up. Cool, he was doing so. stand-up concurrently. Mm, I, I don't, don't know. know. Yeah. I could be wrong. Man. I, I just think of him as an 80s stand-up, and I think of The Young Ones as an 80s TV show. So. Well, they're both correct. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I don't think of it as being there being any sort of uh, delineation between the two. Cool. I first knew him as a stand-up. Yeah. Because I remember... You don't know TV writers, do you? No, exactly. I remember The Young Ones being on TV, and it's only really, uh, it's only really from like, the 90s onwards that you start to hear about the names of people who are making television programmes. It's a way for them to promote television programmes. Like, Andrew Davis is doing a new uh, BBC drama, and everyone's like, Andrew Davis is doing a new BBC drama. That just... It, it might have happened... There was... I don't think if there was any significant sort of... Alan, Alan Bennett Clark. or someone. Alan Clark, maybe. Yeah, possibly. But not... Not to the same degree. No, no, not really. And, like, with like, No one would know, like, that the Doctor Who showrunner has changed, would they? Doctor Who fans would, to be fair. They do yeah, but like, say, normal people. <laughs> it I don't think you would have got um, interviews in the Radio Times with the Doctor Who showrunner in the same sort of way no. that you do now with, uh, with people. Ben Elton makes his name as a writer on The Young Ones, then becomes famous as an individual doing... Probably famous as one of the sort of vanguards of alternative comedy in the 80s and politicising... Alternative comedy? Yeah. Who was saying that? Bernard Bannon and everyone? Yeah, all well, that... He's, he's not being racist, therefore he's not worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then sort of caps uh, the good part of his career with Blackadder. Done other things since then, but no, nothing he, good. Mr Bean? Did he write Mr Bean? He's involved at times. So but maybe with I'm Mr Bean, the thing is, with it's Mr Bean, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, performance, yeah. it's not the writing. Someone writing weird down... That they thought, Let's revive uh, silent comedy. <laughs> but someone writing down uh, Mr Bean puts on his trousers... Comma, he struggles. That's not, <laughs> that's not the genius of Mr. Bean, is it? And the BAFTA goes too. <laughs> um, I, did you watch any of the young ones? Yeah, I've saw, I saw the bits of the young ones when, uh, you know, when I was growing up because, you know, there was a lot more recycling of television. Those of course, yeah, repeat, repeat. repeat. Yeah, yeah. Stuart Lee said something like, you know, at last it was something for us. So I appreciate its importance, you know, if there is some. But, you know, it... Partly holds up and it partly don't. I mean, it's quite yeah. amusing. But yeah, it's yeah. so cartoonish. Yeah, absolutely. There's like, a lot of the Rick Mail stuff. I don't. Yeah, and a lot of it is 
uh, sort of broad slapstick physical comedy, yeah. isn't it? sort of people hitting each other with pans, which you know they then take into bottom, and it becomes the whole basis of the show. Yeah, I mean it's the uh, era of canned slash audience laughter, mm. and I make no disti- dis- won't distinguish between the two. Yeah, I know people often try. Oh, that's a fun of all. It makes no difference. Tough I don't really see now, people. It? Really it is tough. really tough, but the thing is, even at the time, like at the time, it was palatable because you, you know, didn't know any other way. But well, in my house, we were raised, you ate the police and you ate the canned laughter. Like, my dad was always, my dad was complaining about canned laughter in 1991. <laughs> Constantly. Do you know what I mean? You couldn't get it for a programme without him sort of explaining that he didn't need to be told when to laugh. <laughs> Blackadder similarly feels, the laughter all, you know, feels incredibly uh, out of place. See, the thing is, I enjoyed the young ones in places. But Blackadder's probably one of our favourite TV shows of all time. Still. Yeah, absolutely. Hold, for me, it holds up, absolutely. And, and it really, it bemuses me how much I enjoy it. Because with Blackadder, it's Ben Elton and Richard Curtis, who separately have done some of the most abhorrent creative enterprises I've ever heard of in my life. But together, and I don't understand what happened. I don't understand how separately they're making Love Actually. Do you want to put Ron Atkinson in that category as well? Oh no, you like Ronak's. I can't think of what Ronak has done that I haven't liked. Johnny English? I haven't seen it, to be fair. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, you've I, seen the I'd, adverts, I'd, I'd imagine sure. I wouldn't like it, yeah. No, it's, a good, it's a good point. It's a good point. But um, Blackadder, I mean, uh, my biggest quandary about Blackadder, uh, particularly in the immediate years after it finished, and people, yeah, you know, it's not talked about as much anymore because no, other things have come really. along. But there was a time when it was, it was massively important. It was people always just talking about it because it was. A great script, a great cast, brilliant performances, just and just fantastic, really, really good. And people constantly, what's your favourite one? And my thing was always, what's the one I've seen last? If I've seen Blackadder 2, any Blackadder 2 episode last, I'm like, probably that one. If I've seen Blackadder 3, Blackadder, whatever, not the Blackadder, the first series. No, everybody that seems to agree that's not great. It's, there's moments. As good. So. There's moments. But I mean, it's really with 2 to 4 that it picks up. And like, by 4, they're so sort of confident in what they're doing. They can end like that. Where and, and you know, famously, every season, and this is not a spoiler because we're talking about stuff that's twenty years old. If you haven't watched Black Adder, well, I've got no sympathy for you. I've got it TiVo'd. <laughs> but um, yeah, famously, every season ended with everyone dying, and the fourth one. We were going the fourth one, but they always like it's just the fourth one was was it was pathos rather than comedy. With, with the yeah. others, it was always slightly farcical. Yeah, Someone fourth... like cackling to camera while they're holding a vial of poison. And he's like, all right. So you've been definitely involved you with, with the fourth one. You're sort of going, that is how people die. This is horrible. Yeah, um, it's Blackadder goes fourth. Yeah. And it's about the First World War. Yeah. And they all go over the top at the end, don't they? And, and it was, you know, there's an element, shot of, down. element of satire in all of them. Because essentially the premise is Blackadder is a character at court in various time periods. And it's him trying to, you know, essentially Bilko in Elizabethan times or uh, Georgian times. It's him just trying to, you know, work out a scheme to get ahead. And with the fourth one, he's still trying to do that. But it's basically him trying to get away from the front. That's his scheme all the way through. With the others, it's him trying to gain power or money. With this, it's just him trying to stay alive. So it was really bold, I think, to um, sort of take it in that direction. And smart as well, across the, the three series, uh, four series, really, Famously, the same characters would turn up with slightly different roles. So they, they'd use essentially the same cast and just, you know, recast them slightly differently to fit the time. 
Did you ever hear about the 1970s version of Blackadder that never got made? Mm, no, it was set in the 70s. Yeah. And they were going to be a band called Blackadder. Oh, that works perfectly. And yeah, uh, White Snake. Bald Rick was going to be a drummer called Bald Rick. <laughs> and you sort of read that and go, do this. Because, well, I mean, I, uh, I guess now they're all too old to be uh, a 1970s. Uh, they did uh, something for the Millennium Dome, didn't they? They did, yeah. Uh, Blackadder Back and Forth, I think it's called. Yeah, time and it's travel thing. Basically, him sort of revisiting. You know, it's things like you've got Fry and Laurie in the cast. You know, that's a gift, isn't it? Miranda Richardson, just brilliant. Rick Mail as Flashheart in various incarnations. Yeah, I only... I mean, I, again, I saw it growing up, but it's so long ago, I don't... You know, I can't judge it, I don't really remember. But I watched the first episode, I watched the first two episodes of season two, and then I watched half an episode from season three, right? And, like, it was in the sec- second season, there's a bit where uh, Rick Mail turns up and he's doing, like... It's just, it's unwatchable. Really? Because I, I always yeah. like Flash Art. I but know you mean. There are funny bits, you know what right, I mean? It's yeah, just, yeah. but, you know. His character is supposed to be over here and obnoxious and he does Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I yeah, get that. But it's supposed yeah. just, he starts talking to the camera and it's, it's dreadful. Like, you know, yeah, from really. my point of view. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to persuade no, no. anyone else they shouldn't like it. Uh, but the, the, it is dated. That's the, you know, as we said, it's got the, uh, the kind of laughter on it. And also, you don't really see sitcoms anymore, the quality ones. Where it's just like joke, 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 joke. Do you know what I mean? I'm never going to have a problem with a sitcom for going joke, 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 joke. Yeah, I know. It sounds silly when you say it like that. And I always like... thought, one of the things I liked about Black Adder was I always thought this is really clever because it will never get dated in the same way that a contemporary sitcom does because they're in roughs. So, of course, it's. Do you yeah, know what I mean? It, sort of, it proofs it a little from you that. Were, I don't know. I, I, I still think I'm, I enjoy watching that. I do remember watching The Thin Blue Line. And that's... Uh... Well, this is this is my point about Ben Elton without Richard Curtis. At this point, you're just talking about Ben... And people were excited about saying, Ben Elton's got a new sitcom. And then you watch it and you go, wow, so maybe Richard Curtis was the funny one. Then you watch Four Winds and you go, maybe Ben Elton was the funny one. Yeah. It's, it's just writers trying to be funny, isn't it? That's yeah. the kind of... Yeah, it's not... Nothing's coming out of character, is it? It's just... It's cheap humour, isn't it? Yeah. And he's still doing that. I mean, I mean, like, you know, the right way came out last year I think it was and uh, right but with a W and language. I can't even remember what it's about now. I watched I watched about 10 minutes of it it's like about the health and safety department in the council oh, so that's the kind of level yeah. of uh, stuff been, been out and satirising now but it was like notoriously people saying it's the worst sitcom ever it's not the worst sitcom ever but it is appalling but it's still trying to do canned laughter or audience laughter um, you know people just saying things that writers think are amusing to each other rather than anything coming out of character. Like the mayor in it talks like Yoda. Like, you know, like messing mm. with the yeah. syntax. Really, really horrendous. Just doing the same thing over and over again. You'd say his lowest point would probably be doing, I mean, not financially, he's made him a millionaire, uh, but doing the Queen musical, We Will Rock You, which yeah. is all about you know, a dystopian future where music's not allowed... And yeah, absolute junk. Yeah, it? just terrible. But then he did. You'd say to you, oh, that's, "That's his absolute idea." But then he did the Rod Stewart uh, one, "Sailing," which is uh, essentially the same thing, but using Rod Stewart song titles to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that should be a genre. Written fourteen novels as well. Going back to "We Will Rock You," though. Ben Elton is uh, disliked, isn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
a, a sellout, people say. Yeah. yeah. Like Stuart Lee talks about him um, a little bit, saying um, the you know, he said that the young ones was great, and, you know, it's the first time there was something for them. But then he goes on to talk about Ben Elton being a sellout, and he says, Ben Elton says that people hate him because they don't like people being a success. But, but that's not true. And people hate Ben Elton on his own terms for the bad things that he's done. <laughs> what are those things, Steve? I think it is just taking that money to make those shows. Yeah. We yeah. Will Rock You, he co-wrote with a uh, massive Tory donor, didn't he? Yeah. And Andrew yeah. Lloyd Webber. And I think he's also kind of almost taking his name off the kind of anti-Thatcher stuff from the 80s. Oh, really? It, well, no, not quite. But I mean, stand by it. It's the best stuff he did. Yeah, but it's 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 like... Uh, I don't think he was ever that passionate about it. It was just an angle to... Yeah, by mm. the sound of it. Yeah. But I watched a little bit of his, of his kind of, I say recent stand-up, he's like 10 years old, he's doing a George Bush impression of it, and that was dreadful. Yeah, no, his stand-up wasn't good in the 80s, he'd sort of turn up on like The Last Resort, and would just sort of, I don't know, you just, you always got the feeling you were watching someone who'd watched Alexi Sale, and had an idea about how this was supposed to look and sound, Yeah. and would say, you know, Thatch... And you know, disrespectful and people. I think I think at that point people supposed to go, "This is uh, you know, this is satire." And you're like, "No, uh, you know, Black goes forth is satire. It's where he's dealing with actual issues and uh, making something worthwhile." Talking of appalling sitcoms, Heidi High's Mr. Partridge is also from uh, Catford. Leslie Dwyer, do you know? I do. When you say appalling sitcoms, you can't even talk about Heidi High. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, I only watched half an episode. Come on. Is it, it what, it's good, is it? No, it's not. But, <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, it's not, but... I've no, watched... I shouldn't say appalling. No, uh, the thing is... It, no, it's it, like a bit like Finn Blue Line, right? No. <laughs> no, but wait, wait, wait. Because, I, you know, I was a kid at the time. Yeah. And we watched it every week and we thought it was quite amusing and then yeah. it got not so funny. Yeah. But I imagine Heidi High, you enjoyed it as a kid, but you watch it now, which is the... I wouldn't, I but... I can't believe it went from 1980 to 1988. I thought it was like <laughs> 70s. No, very much 80s, yeah. Um, I, I don't know, I've got a huge soft spot for Heidi High. Um, just because... I don't know, I think it's really smart setting for a sitcom I think it gives you a sort of a, a ready made strong cast and sort of ideas to play with and things like that. I don't know it wasn't great by Andrew's imagination the guy but, did um, Noel Coward films early in his career this is I mean, true come on Ernest Alson was born and died in Catford he was a decadent poet who lived late 19th early 20th century um, a contemporary and friend of Oscar Wilde his legacy, um, some words and phrases that are immortal now. Days of Wine and Roses was one of his. Gone with the Wind, one of his. Soccer, one of his. Wow. He's credited in the Oxford English Dictionary as the first person to write down the word soccer. So early on that he, he wrote it down that he spelled it S-O-C-C-A. But referring to association, association football, but yeah. was opposed to rugby football. So, oh, that's extraordinary! I didn't I realise that? Yeah, soccer was born in South London. His, what's his? Uh, where is he from and stuff? Oh, you said he's from Catford. Yeah, South. well, Lee. I mean, it's all very yeah, awful, yeah. But yeah, but went back to uh, he, he was basically unwell towards the end of his life, and his friend 
brought him back to Catford to stay with him and he died while there. So. Wow, that's a great one, Steve. Didn't realise that. Going back to architecture, Steve, just for a brief moment. Probably the best looking building in the whole place is St Dunstan's College, and we didn't mention that, did we? Yeah, and that's gorgeous, isn't you it? Can't, when I first went to Catford, as I said, I think I was I just moved to New Cross. Not when I first went there, because I went there as a kid to the um, theatre, Pantomime. But when I moved to New Cross, I had to go get the bus to Catford for some reason to do council tax or something, because, you know, Lewis and Borough is there. And when I came to, up to St. Dunstan's College on the bus, I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not one of the most prestigious private schools. No, no, but... But, I mean, it's, as a you structure. can see they've got money, you know what I mean? Yeah, they've got loads yeah. of playing fields there and stuff. The most notable alumnus is Sir Martin John Evans. You know him, Steve? I don't. He won the Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine. And not that I don't know which, but... Yeah, what, what was discovering. his? I don't know what was his. Uh, let me guess. He, the funny bone. He named the funny bone. <laughs> he was part of a trio of scientists who were the first to culture mice embryonic stem cells. The okay. knockout mouse. Do you know what that is? No. Develop that. I couldn't really work out what it was from reading <laughs> loads of stuff about it. <laughs> but, if Which, people, but to be fair, you, you have you've won no Nobel prizes, have you? So. But he won the Nobel Prize, that was in 1981, but in 2007 he won the Nobel Prize uh, in recognition of, uh, well him and the other people, their discovery of uh, co- and contribution to the efforts to develop new treatments for illnesses in humans. Karl Marx used to drink at the... Uh, That's on Wikipedia, I can't think why he would be. I mean... Was he not local or No, I lived in Highgate, but most of his time in the um, British Library... Why would you go yeah, into Catford for a drink? Schlep, I mean, you know, he might he might have made sound. I don't want to, you know. Might have been through the windows in the Conservative Club. Hmm. It's too soon after last week's playlist episode to talk in too much detail about the musicians who come from Catford. Mainly because we want to save some of them for future playlists. Because there's, well for me, uh, a couple of corkers here. Robin Trower joins Proco Harum. It's after a white shade of pale, which is unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah, but that's all been nailed on for. And a he's, a, he's a guitarist, isn't he? He is, yeah. And that's all organ, isn't it? Yeah, like, true, yeah, yeah. That guitar on white shade of pale was <laughs> But no, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of him to be fair. But you know, reading about him, you're like, he gave uh, Robert Fripp lessons, and you're like, oh, he's probably good. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, Robert Let's come back to him, put a pin in that, Steve. Well, yeah, we can investigate further for a future playlist. Similarly, a band that will definitely, and I always had them down, I've always thought we should do a punk playlist, a South London punk playlist, but your talk about punk last week has probably meant that I'll just have to fold all the wonderful punk songs into no, the playlist. No, no, I like, um, I, what, I, what I've meant about, uh, oh, I thought that was Hugo Loris for a minute, their goalkeeper's called Loria, <laughs> and looks similar. Can we have your goalkeeper? It's the only way to <laughs> We need two of them. Um, my point about punk last week was more just kind of I'm unimpressed by it as a whole. Right. You know, the importance of it and yeah, stuff. Yeah, as a cultural but I can, shift. I can appreciate um, guitar music, Steve. Yeah. So let's do that. Well, I'll tell you now, one of the songs that I'll be nominating, I don't know if you know it. Actually, it, it, it's in uh, London, the modern Babylon. Uh, oh, Bondage Up Yours from X-Ray Specs. Uh, well, maybe. That's oh, a tremendous song. And I always knew that Polystyrene uh, who was the lead singer in the band, 
was she was uh, pretty much the, the sort of opposite experience of David Bowie, born in Bromley and raised in Brixton. So she sort of oh, right. crossed paths with him uh, almost, well, only ten years later. Um, I didn't realise that Jack Stafford, who was known as Jack Airport in X-Ray Specs, was also uh, South London being born in Catford. So we'll definitely talk about X-Ray yeah. Specs, because they're, uh, yeah, as I say... I look forward to it, Steve. That's a great song. We don't have to talk about Japan, though, do we? We, we do have to talk <laughs> about Japan. Um, but before we do... Uh, Jackie McShane, uh, Pentacle, which is not a, a, a band I'd heard of. I've never heard any of their music, but I imagine there's a good one because they're quite famous in like folk circles, aren't they? Don't know. What's the point of mentioning it, Steve? You never listened to it. No, because I, when the name came, I was like, "Oh, Pentacle. I've heard of Pentacle. They're uh, mm. known to be good." But I mean, I say we'll save it for uh, save it for our South London folk playlist, <laughs> episode 147. <laughs> But as you say, no, Japan, uh, yeah, for a couple of reasons. Um, all of them went to Catford Boys' School, so there's a definite link there. Lead singer David Sylvian, um, and also there's some great songs, but David Sylvian um, collaborated with Roichi Sakamoto on a number of records, including doing a track for the soundtrack to Merry Christmas with Lawrence. So, which we talked about, episode 78, our David Bowie on screen special. So yeah, uh, no, I'm excited to choose a Japan track for a future uh, playlist. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Steve. Pick a good one, yeah? if you can find one. <laughs> In the meantime, if you want to hear any music from those artists, go to YouTube. You'll find some good stuff. You'll right. like it so much, and then you'll go, I need to own this. I need to own O oh, Bondage Up Yours by X-Ray Specs. Buy the single on Amazon as an MP3. We get a little bit of money. Yeah. Buy the album. As a physical object on Amazon, we get a bit of money. It's up to you. Even better, buy like a free grand handbag <laughs> and use the link on southlandhardcore.com and then we'll get some money. And it can fund future trips. I mean, how much did we spend today in Catford, Steve? You bought drinks, that was the only pure expense. Yeah, £4. So, you know, what that age week, people. Mm-hmm.